0: And page one forty-seven. You think we're going to make it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right. The role of man, husband, and father. That's right. Once again, we're on there, as we saw at the top of page one forty-seven. What is the standard of manhood? God. That's right, Bill. God is the correct answer. It's usually a safe answer, and it's the right one. Uh, Just so tonight. God is the standard. But what's the problem? We don't listen to God. We listen to ourselves. We listen to other people, uh, our peers, or popularity, or the opinions, the polls, or even society, and blah, blah, blah. And that's why things are so messed up when it comes to manhood, okay? And it spills downhill, not only in the family, but again, unfortunately, even in the church. And we saw, well, let's get back on track. We already saw, well, what makes for a Christian man? And we saw all the different characteristics there. And then we said, well, okay, so you're a Christian, godly man. Uh, What's the point? Well, the point is the role of that in society and how that is supposed to be a profound witness in our society. Uh, and frankly, as men, we need to lead the way back by example. So we need to not only be that, but as we are in this world, just not of it, just being a godly man is a profound witness, okay? And then last time we saw, well, it's not just for society's sake, it's for this crazy thing called the family, okay? The family, okay? Our families messed up. Just a little bit, okay? And uh, it takes two to tangle. Learned that in many years of counseling, certainly in marriage counseling. But uh, men, we are to be the spiritual leaders of the home. And if we get that far, those three of you who have the gift of faith... Sure, we will, Pastor Billy. Thanks, Mary. Yeah, if we get that far, I think we will. Uh, We're going to see that uh, we need to also be the spiritual leaders in the church, okay? And we dealt with that a little bit before. But where we left off, of course, is the issue with uh, in the family, as a a family man, as a godly man, uh, as a Christian man, we are to follow the principles of leaving and cleaving. We are to love as Christ loved. We are to have a love for our wives, and certainly our family will see that tonight, uh, that sanctifies. In short, that, hey, listen, ask your spouse this. Okay, Uh, is your spouse, is your wife, men, are they a better woman because they married you? Are they a stronger Christian because they married you? That's how profound and godly your walk is. That's the goal. Now if it's not there, we just work prayerfully towards that and by his spirit he gives us that ability. And of course we need to have a love that nourishes and cherishes in the family and we need to be the where the buck stops here. We need to be the decision makers. We need to lead our family. We need to listen to input, but when the buck stops here we have to make those godly decisions and even if our family goes south, even if everybody on the planet goes south, as men we need to have that mentality like Joshua as for me and my house, I don't care what the world's doing I don't care what you're doing we will serve the Lord even if your own family rejects God's vision as a man you cannot budge we're going to serve the Lord and it provides stability and security in the family and again it provides the same thing for the church now let's take a look at for the little crumb snatchers okay the chitlins the the linoleum what was that linoleum rats what was that the other one that was a new one I like that one I, I think I got it wrong linoleum lizards I like that that works good for the desert what's that Drape apes? That's cool. So that's where that spaghetti smear comes from. But anyway, let's continue on. A man as a father, okay? A man as a father is where we're at, page 155. And we're going to see two examples starting off. The first one, of course, is the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. Then we're going to see in Ephesians with the New Testament. Old and New Testament, what is a godly father supposed to look like? Let's take a look. Deuteronomy uh, 6, verse 4 through 9. Moses, he recaps the Ten Commandments, so he gives the law. Right, He gives the orders from God, and how many orders from God are for our bad? That's bad for us. Thank you. All of God's command are for our good. And the reason why there's so many is because there's so much sin, and he has all these fences to protect us. So God gives the Ten Commandments for our good, certainly in the context with the Israelites, and then, all of a sudden, after that, he gives some ins- important instructions, listen, to the sons and how to pass on a godly heritage okay uh, the goal as a christian if god blesses you with kids it isn't just to have kids and some, somehow just make it through that phase of life okay it's to pass a godly heritage to the next generation right they're not just there sucking air and causing you to write checks and pay for everything they're there as a gift from god to pass on to the next godly generation boy we have forgot that haven't we We'll get to that in a second. So here's what he says. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here's what you do. You shall love the Lord your God, uh, you know, at least on Sundays. And when it's convenient with your calendar, and as long as, you know, that football game's not on, and all that's, or I'm sorry, when it's convenient, and when, no, he says, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And he said, uh, listen, and these words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to who? Your sons, your kids. And you shall listen, talk of them when you sit at your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. How many guys would say that kind of pretty much covers wherever you go? okay, is the vernacular, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand that shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and in your gates. So you not only teach them at all times, anytime that God gives you the ability, but wherever you go, your house is about God and about the scripture. Why? Because what is the goal as a Christian godly man, certainly as a godly parent, my job is with these crumb snatchers it's not just survive and try to keep them alive whether by my own hand or something else it's to pass on that godly torch okay that's the, my, the, pri- the priority there and this is what he says he says what a privilege and a blessing it is to raise children and God has made it clear through the psalmist that children are his underline this word are his gift to us a gift now see this is the problem our society, what is our society's view of kids today? A burden, right? A pain. And I remember this when, before I got saved. Two things I was never going to do, and I made it very bold and very clear and very loud. I will never get married and I will never have kids. Praise God. God doesn't listen to you sometimes. Anybody? Because <laughs> you know what? It's a blessing. Absolute blessing. But that's not what our society says. So here it is, society gets it wrong, why God gives you kids in the first place, they're a gift, and your job, parent, is to pass on that godly torch, okay, but then society even goes so far, hey, forget the godly torch thing, okay, I'm not even going to mess with that. They're a burden, they're a pain, they cost too much, etc., blah, I don't know, hey, did anybody think that maybe you were a, a, a challenge and you cost a couple bucks for your parents? You somehow think it's going to stop with... Come on, it's crazy. But that's the mentality. Even, now, this is how sick it's gotten. I'll use that word. God says children are a gift. And it's a privilege. And, and, and it's your responsibility to invest in their lives. To pass on that godly torch. And our society today is murdering children by the millions, by the millions, by the tens of millions killing them how far we have fallen they're a gift but now there's such a pain such a burden i will kill them before they come out of the womb as if god doesn't see all this that's how bad it's gotten okay but let's remind ourselves what's god say here in this almost behold children are a gift of the lord to privilege Anybody like, uh, uh, if you've ever taught or teach a Sunday school class or a Bible class or anything, isn't it kind of fun, right? A lot of work, but it's, good. it's a cool. It's a privilege, right? Did you know we're supposed to do that for our kids? Same thing, just a different class this is what he's saying. It's a gift from the Lord, okay? Plus, I don't know about you, but I've, I've learned a lot uh, from my kids, okay? Uh, I, remember, I remember just the first time becoming a father. I mean, I thought, excuse me, as a pastor, that I really understood what it meant by the love of God, I think I understood it scripturally. I think I understood it experientially by being forgiven from all the junk that I've done and and, and not saying I'm even perfect today. Uh, uh, and, And I understand it theologically, okay? But it wasn't until I had kids that I really, I think I really understood the depths of God's love. And as a father for your own kids and, the, and your, the love you have for your kids and how you will sacrifice, you'll do whatever it takes to provide for your kids and, and be there for your kids and love your kids and you can't wait to be with your kids. And then the scripture uses stuff like this, our heavenly father. And that we're his kids. And that he's promised to take care of us. Whoa, that brings a whole new light into it. So I think sometimes part of the gift of being a, a parent is our kids can even teach us about what it means to be a child of god okay Uh, let's continue on the fruit of the womb is a reward not a pain like arrows in the hand of a warrior so are the children of one's youth how blessed how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them they shall not be ashamed and when they speak with their enemies in the gate okay got a lot of kids to back you up Especially sons. Okay, they're going to town. I don't have time to go into what was going on at the gate, but that's where they did a lot of legal stuff and what have you. But the above passage from Deuteronomy shows us how awesome is the task of raising kids. Moses indicates the way to rear godly progeny is to be. Here's your first blank: a godly parent. Why? How many guys have heard this phrase? A monkey see, monkey do. So what you do as a parent you cheat and you just tell your kids what they're supposed to do but you never do it no right you back it up right that's what he says you need to be a godly parent it isn't enough to just leave it up to your Sunday school teacher or leave it up to your church you need to be doing it in the home and boy isn't that the problem many times we don't back it up with consistency Oh, we put on that good face on Sunday. But how about the rest of the week? Are we still as men living for Jesus Christ? Not saying we're perfect. But you know what? Sometimes, you know what uh, I've learned? Is that your kids uh, need to see uh, dad and even mom on their knees asking for forgiveness for God. Or even come to them. Well, you know what? I I blew it as your dad or your mom. Would you please forgive me? Hey, that's a profound thing. Your kids need to learn that. They need to see that in you. As well as being that example. He says, notice he tells the men of Israel that they must first have a passion for. For God, there's the next blank. Passion for God. Uh, and in addition, the commandments must be on your heart. Now, a passion for God, that's what he means. He says, listen, you need to love God, men, people, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's a passionate person. That's not a casual Christian. That's a person who is passionate with God. Not some of your might, some of your soul. It's with all of it. You are passionate about God. Now, can I tell you something? If you just fall head over heels le- in heels with love with Jesus, and if you just keep falling in love with him every day, you're not going to have to work it. Am I being a godly parent? Because you ooze it. Because you're so close to Jesus and you just love him. That's all you got to do. It's not just love Jesus. It's so hard. What do you mean it's so hard to do? He's rescued us from hell. If that's all salvation was, excuse me, how is it hard to love him? but there's so much more okay you need to have that passion the hebrew word for heart is leb. let's say that leb. leb. that sounds like a hunting buddy doesn't it hey leb, come here bring me a shotgun you know that's what i think bill uh, and it refers to though the seat of emotions not the seat of a shotgun okay moses point is that we must have a passion for god and his word and that it affects us not only mentally but emotionally we should be energized with a passion your next blank Passion for God that affects every area of our lives and produces godly behavior. This type of heart produces the godly character that we discussed earlier in 1 Timothy 3. And as Moses points out, we must live and model the godly lives that we want our children uh, to exhibit. Okay? You back it up with your life. Don't be a hypocrite. I say you've got to be perfect, but when you blow it, just own up to it. That's a great example, right? Okay? Because you're teaching them not to be a plastic Christian. Okay? And uh, just a phony thing. You look good on the outside, but inside, inside, just like Jesus said, you're a dead man's bones. You're a hypocrite. Okay, you say one thing, you do another. Don't do that. Okay. And uh, he says, notice there. He says it's not just a mental thing; it's an emotional thing. Okay, you're just so. Ha- I, have you ever, I, I, if it's in the notes or whatever, but you, you get to the point where you get emotional about Jesus. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, although there are times, I think that in your walk with Jesus, I'm not saying this to brag or nothing, but uh, I, I feel like I'm passionate when I teach and preach, uh, I, I, and sometimes in prayer, sometimes, I'm saying every time, but sometimes, man, you're just bawling your eyes out like a little baby. I mean, there, there's emotions to that. Okay, I'm not just saying hype it up for the sake of hype, uh, but, but it, it's not just your walk with Jesus is deep where it's, 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 it's a relationship, and what comes with that is these positive emotions. The genuineness of that. But I will say this too, especially as men, especially as those godly leaders, that you're also emotional when you see the word of God being violated. You're not passive about it. You're passionate. It's like, no, we will not go there. No, we will not stand for that. No, we will not do that. And that there's an emotion behind that. There's not a passivity. We're passionate. It's not just a mental thing. I can memorize 400 verses. Well, that's great. First of all, what you learn? I don't know. You just wasted your time. You're supposed to apply it, but it's to uphold it. And there's a passion to maintain God's standard because as men, we are so convinced that God's way is the only way, not just the right way. Not just for a successful family, but for a successful church and for a successful country, dare I say. And if we're off track, we need to express that mental and emotional spiritual response to God's word and be those leaders and lead the way back now let's continue on Ephesians 6, 4 the New Testament Paul says this in a nutshell about parenting and fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of who? the Lord Lord. we'll get to that in a little bit right? you three people who have the gift of faith yay thank you (laughs) and here's what he says the first thing we should note is that the instruction is addressed to fathers right? alright this should be no surprise since we've seen that the headship of the male is clearly taught from the beginning of creation. We already saw that, right? And, uh, but at the same time, the term here, "pateres" uh, probably indicates the responsibility of both parents. So in other words, not a cop-out, ladies. It doesn't mean, well, I don't have to do nothing. I don't have to instruct my kids at all or nothing. no. But in general, men are the spiritual leaders. We're the ones with the spiritual mantle. We're the ones who are responsible for the spiritual direction and well-being. The wives help out in that, certainly, but don't leave it up to them. We need to work together. Now, he says, now, don't embitter your child, okay? Now, first of all, what did he say? He says, you, you want to be a godly man? You want to be a godly husband? You want to be a godly father is the context here? You, you need to understand what God says. You need to not just know the scripture and his commandments. But you got to be so passionate about God and Jesus and his word and convinced of that. That you live that and you're that godly example. And now with your kids, don't embitter them. Right? And here's what he says. He said, before stating the positive commands associated with the parenting task, Paul states the negative command. Right? Don't just bring them up in instruction. He said, before you even do that, hey, listen, don't provoke your children to anger. Now, the Greek word there, provoke, means to anger, to make angry. Listen, to bring one along to a deep-seated anger. Now, this is serious. I mean, this is something that's stuck in there. Deep-seated. It didn't just go away. This, this thing is in there. It's locked in. I mean, right? And the child begins to get that bitter heart. Uh, towards their parent. Now, MacArthur suggests uh, some different ways how we could, unfortunately, do that. So don't do these. Let's take a look. He says, first of all, overprotection can lead to that deep-seated anger. Smother your children, fence them in, never trust them, always question whether they're uh, really telling you the truth, never give them an opportunity to develop independence. You're going to embitter them. I can't do nothing right. You never give me a chance. Did you know that sometimes we learn Even the little crumb snatchers, by giving them a little rope. Okay, right? Hey, have you ever had a boss or an employer that always breathed down your neck, man? You had no space. Hey, nitpick you to death. They're always looking over your shoulder. How was that? That's what he's saying. Don't do that to your kids, man. I mean, we got to don't go the other extreme and abandon them. We'll we'll get that far, right? Three people have faith. We're getting better. (laughs) Anyway, so. We made it through one page, maybe, so far. Okay, but he, said, he says, uh, listen, don't do that if with the employer, with your kids, don't do that. You gotta give them some room to breathe, okay? Because sometimes you learn just not by what you do correctly, but what you do incorrectly, right? And your kids have to have the space to do that. But man, if you sit there and nitpick them to death, it's just, you know, and just embitters them. The next one's favoritism. Wow, don't do this. Comments like a, hey, why can't you get good grades like your sister? Oh, that's such a freeing statement for the rest of the f- kids, isn't it? Okay, or uh, I never have to tell your brother twice about doing anything. That can destroy a child. And how does that work for the sibling dynamics? That fosters unity and love. Yes, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> right? No, All right? you do not compare. Okay, don't compare. Each child is different. Our job, I believe as parents, is to figure out what God has equipped them with this particular gift, find out what that is, nurture it in a godly fashion and set them free with guidelines as they maybe make a few mistakes and lead them on that. Don't compare them because nobody's the same. Push for achievement. Many parents pressure their children to excel in school or sports or other activities and it causes them to become what? Bitter. Man, I've counseled people that have been there, right? Parents want to sometimes live the life they wanted to live, but didn't get to live for whatever reason through their kids, and they force them into it. But that's not what they want to do. That's not what's on their heart. But they have to do it because my dad wanted to be a baseball player, and something happened he couldn't. So all my life, that's all I've ever known. Nothing wrong with baseball, and you could probably excel at it. But deep down inside, this is not your dream. It's your dad's dream. My mom said she always wanted to do this. Blah, blah, blah. But that's not what God's created you for. And so it becomes embittering. Okay, Uh, discouragement. You can provoke a child to anger by discouraging him, always withholding your approval and only telling him what is wrong with him. Here's a phrase, and this is great for marriage too, by the way, Uh, people have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you discourage them to be. Doesn't mean you can't point out some errors in love. That's the key thing though. And as I shared before you, I remember a lady in New York and she was having a really rough time with her teenage son and their relationship was in the trash, right? And she just picked him to death. He couldn't do anything right. And so the counsel that was given to her, okay, and she followed it and it, sure enough it swung around was this. Listen, here's something. Here's all you gotta do. Try it. Before you say one more negative s- thing about your son, not that he's perfect. All kids make mistakes, right? But before you say one negative thing about your son, you have to come up with seven positive things. Just doing that one thing, flip the whole relationship around. Still dealt with things, so they got out of hand. But no longer was it, I'm always wrong. I never do anything right. That will embitter uh, your children. Failure to sacrifice, make your child feel like they're an intrusion on your life. That's gonna provoke them to anger. Uh, failure to allow for childishness, some parents make sure that if the children do anything uh, that is not mature or intellectual, they're put down for it. Don't condemn them for being kids. All right? They spilled the milk. Byron, they spilled the milk. How dare they spill the milk? Excuse- Hello? Right? Kids are kids. Right? Now, if it's a 9,372 times after you told them 9,371 times, that might be a different issue. But it's just going to happen kids are kids kids are goofy they whatever i'm convinced that my son's characteristics comes from brandy's side of the family personally (laughs) with his antics and stuff but (laughs) they're gonna be kids man and they have gotta be kids it's just gonna happen right they're gonna make mistakes they're gonna be goofballs all right let them be a kid right and enjoy it man i'm trying my best to enjoy it because i know one day a dad's not gonna be cool okay it's just starting to get there okay but uh right now i'm still kind of cool right but uh but i know one day when they get that teenage stuff ah, yeah, but i'm just trying to soak this up right now but let's continue on uh, a neglect you cannot neglect your child and win be there and be available to share their lives with them you can't afford the price of being too busy for your kids okay and that's something that hey listen that's a struggle right because we're all busy right but you've got to sacrifice. you got to do your best. Sometimes things come up. But you got to do your best uh, to invest in your kids. And that your kids know that you're willing to sacrifice uh, to maintain that. And he says this one. Withdrawing love. The top of page 157. Never use your love as a punishment or even as a threat. Daddy won't love you if you do that. Ooh, don't even ever play those games. And I like what he backs this up with this example. Listen. Is that how God deals with us? Anybody glad that God doesn't say, hey, listen... If you do that, I'm going to send you straight into hell. Huh? Aren't you glad he's never said that? And he never will? Now, he'll spank us if we get out of line. That's the next uh, paragraph here. Right? But aren't you glad he doesn't withhold his love from us? Don't do that to your kids, man. Especially his dad's, man. Because what are we modeling? You know, we sit there and talk about Father God, our Heavenly Father, Father God this, Father God that. God wants to be your Heavenly Father. He's our Father. He'll take care of us. Father, Father, Father. What kind of Father are we being? Right? So when we speak Father, do they see the godliness? When we speak about God the Father, do they say, oh yeah, that's like my dad. That's awesome. Or it's like, will he love me? What if I get out of line? Will he be for me or will he abandon me? Right? Will he threaten me? Will he... You know, and that's what he's talking about. Now, let's move on. Discipline. You also need to discipline. Because there's times, even though kids are kids, you still need to discipline and instruct in godliness. Paul gives the positive commands now associated with parenting. And he states, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Discipline is the Greek word padia. And uh, that's what we saw before in the previous chapters. And we learned that it was used in the Greek world to denote the upbringing of, is your next blank there the upbringing and the handling of a minor child okay and included such aspects as direction teaching and chastisement now that's the great example we've seen several times in hebrews chapter 12 uh and it's a good one to follow as he states it reveals that god so loves us that he is committed to training us through godly counsel where does that come from bible that's right whoever said that the bible god bible usually those are good safe answers and they are Uh, In Christian services. uh, The Bible. Godly instruction. That's where it comes from. Okay. As well as chastisement. When we stray from that freeing counsel. Is anybody glad that God not only loves you. And doesn't withhold his love. Even when we blow it. But he loves us enough. That he doesn't let us go too far. And that he pulls us back. Okay. Now he'll give us that rope. Because as our Heavenly Father, just like an earthly father, we learn sometimes by our mistakes. And then sometimes when we get really rebellious, just like in our earthly father, sometimes you got to spank. Because you're just curbing and you see what they don't see. That's a bad road. That's a harmful road. Don't go there. And if you won't listen to the instruction in general, I'm going to give you some room because I want you to learn to be an adult and make your own wise decisions. But if you don't, you're going to get spanking. And God will do that too. Why? Because he loves us. Like our earthly fathers uh, need to be the examples as well. Chastisement is your next blank there. Uh, Chastisement should be a part of the overall training process of our children. And this is made clear from a multitude of verses you see there. And at the same time, our motivation must always be love as seen in our heavenly fathers dealing with us. Again, in Hebrews chapter 12, it's because he loves us. Because the, the scripture, what is it, Proverbs, uses, we talked about this before, uses some seriously strong language when it comes to disciplining our kids. He flips around. He says, if you don't discipline your kids, you hate your child. Why? Because if you don't discipline your kids, it's like free reign. There's no boundaries. And yet, what does our society say today? Don't spank them. Don't discipline them. Don't do anything. Forget spanking us. Don't even, don't do nothing. You've got to let him be free. Free, excuse me? Now, we, we've talked about this before, but let me share with you. Listen, you can either do it God's way, all right? Or you can do it society's way. Listen to what society's way is doing. Society says, as godly men, we need to be those godly examples whose head over uh, heels in love with God, right? With all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. We need to instruct our kids to do the same, to be lovers of the Savior, not lovers of the self. But society says, they flipped it around, it's all about self at all costs. And no matter what self does, you can't say anything bad about it or it's going to destroy the self. As crazy as that is, listen to what it's leading to. Parents in Connecticut have taken their son's school to court. Why? Because their son was caught destroying school property and was expelled from the school. They say now that their son has feelings of unworthiness and his self-worth has been damaged so they're suing the school. (laughs) What? That's how bad it's getting. Uh, In Maine, signs that say happy holidays and singing Christmas carols are now being banned because it might make some people feel excluded. Okay? Mother's Day in Manhattan is being eliminated because kids may not have a mother and this could damage their self-esteem. But apparently so does kickball and dodgeball And similar games because that promotes competitiveness and that makes some kids feel excluded and that's no longer tolerated what now listen researchers okay and you think well well we've we've got to do this i know the bible says something polar opposite but we've got to do this because this is the panacea for the ills of society this is going to raise up a great uh, generation Researchers put this belonging to the test, the self-esteem teaching and, and, and in schools, and by measuring how high the students thought of themselves academically. Listen, as it turned out, the more highly they thought of themselves and their supposed abilities, the less ability they had. Direct opposite. A case in point is how kids in Washington, D.C., ranked number one in the country for self-esteem, yet they came second to last in academic performance. And, and one researcher stated, quote, years of self-love propaganda has succeeded only in producing self-deluded kids. Don't do it God's way. Don't tell them to have savior esteem, number one, always with all your heart, mind, and soul. And whatever you do when they get out line, don't discipline them. It's all about self. And look at what we're doing. As godly men, men, we need to lead the way back. God comes first. Okay, Bible says, esteem others more than yourself. Okay, and you want to be a good disciple of Jesus, you need to deny yourself. Okay, don't be feeding that thing. But that's what he says. The word uh, translate instruction is the Greek word nuthesia, and it's almost synonymous with discipline, but it puts more stress on the verbal side of the disciplinary process it refers to the training by word by the word of encouragement when this is uh, sufficient but also of remonstrance and the reproof and the blame where these may be required one of the greatest tools for parenting is to develop the habit of continually giving here it is again words of encouragement to your kids do you take the time not just to point out what they're doing wrong yes you need to do that But do you take the time to specifically point out the things you do appreciate and the things they're doing right? And dare I say, more so than what they're doing wrong. It really will turn things around. Solomon wrote, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he's not gonna depart from it. Good paraphrase might read, adapt the training of your child so that it's in keeping with secular psychology. I'm sorry, wrong line. What's that? Oh, in keeping in line with God's given characteristics and tendencies okay when he comes to maturity he's not going to depart from the training he's received and as this phrase indicates god has bent your child in a certain way have you ever seen sometimes how they uh make wood products and stuff and how they like uh like like molding or trim and it's just a straight piece of wood you know what have you but what they do is they heat it up with steam and what have you, and so you can bend it, but, so it won't break, but it, and then you let it dry out, and it stays like that, and that's what I get from this, is you, know, you work with your kids, I mean, hey, th- they can still go south, as a parent, that's a gut-wrencher, isn't it? You try your best to uh, do that, be that godly example, whatever, but, you know, but in general, it's, 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 you try to mold them, you try to bend them, don't break them, but you try to bend them, and mold them to God's way, and it gets locked in there, okay? Sometimes it takes a while to come back around, okay, but it's in there, there's lots of testimony. That's why I love uh, with Awana. There's so many testimonies of kids uh, just growing up. And maybe they were the worst, worst kids ever in, in Awana and was everybody's worst nightmare. But I got, there's so many testimonies. One of them was uh, an Awana missionary in uh, Northern California. The reason, why, he, he was the, one of the worst kids there. He, uh, the only th- reason why he came was to scope on the little girls. Okay, and he freely admits it. And he was horrible. And, but, but part of being Awana is you had to memorize those verses. And he said it wasn't until he was 21 in college living an ungodly life. All of a sudden, God got a hold of his heart and guess what started coming back to his brain? All those verses, he learned in (laughs) wanna, and he got saved, right? And so sometimes, even as a kid, not just with the Iwana thing, but just as parents, you do your best, right? But you trust that God eventually is going to To bend it around that's what he's talking about he says he's been given uh, your child's been given specific gifts talents and interests in keeping uh, with the purpose God's purpose for your child and as parents we must invest the time in our children to recognize their God-given characteristics and tendencies and in the context of godly instruction encourage and help them develop those characteristics and tendencies which of course means you've got to spend time with your kids it's got to be quality time and it's got to be quantity over time godly children listen this godly children do not just happen wouldn't it be great if we could just go to walmart and open up a can of godliness and pour it on our kids they probably sell it if we'd buy it okay it doesn't happen that way they come through the investment of time energy and much prayer well that's a lot of work well listen did you understand that they're a gift from god you didn't pick up your kid from walmart contrary to popular opinion You didn't get them under the cabbage leaf either and some bird didn't drop them off at your doorstep They came from god and god says I want you Hello christian to raise a godly generation and you need to do that in service to me unto them So so what it takes time everything takes time That's what he says now. What's the role of the man in the church? See if we can't cruise through this pretty quick because uh, we've already kind of gone through this a lot uh, in the first study. Okay, much misunderstanding, top of page 158 about the roles of men and women in the church has uh, resulted from ignoring the fact that the body of believers of the church is viewed as a family, all right? So you're, you're called to be a, a family as a husband and father. God uses that same term. We know that, the family of God, you know, all that stuff. We don't understand that when it comes to the church and we need to line up to it. The Bible teaches us to call God our what? father okay our father in heaven who uh we who are redeemed by jesus christ are children of god again notice the the uh, biblical affirmations are among many in which the bible employs the analogy between human family and the what church so if you want to understand some of the dynamics even in the church setting you need to understand they're very similar to the family setting right as we're going to see, again, as men are called to be the spiritual leaders of the home, guess who's called to be the spiritual leaders of the church? Men. Okay? And that's what he's talking about here. By, by means of this family analogy, God makes some of his most precious promises to us concerning his present love, our future inheritance, and our intimate fellowship with him. Okay? The practical information, uh, implications of these family teachings are so deep and so many cited that We can never fully fathom them. Uh, Let's concentrate on one strand of those he talks about within the Christian community. The Bible invites us to use these family teachings to draw some particular inferences about the respective roles of men and women within the church. In brief, the argument runs as follows. Just as husbands and fathers ought to exercise godly leadership in their human families, so anybody who just sucks air... A warm body. Somebody whose temperature is at least above 80 degrees. No, what kind of a man? Not just any guy. A wise guy. Turn to some guy and say, you're a wise guy. Okay, he's not talking three stooges. Even though, how many guys secretly just love that show still? After all these years. Yeah, praise God for your honesty tonight. I'll have to preach online next week. Okay, okay. He's not talking about wise guys. He's talking about wise wisdom. Mature men ought to be appointed as fatherly leaders in the where. Right. It's not by chance that God brings over this family thing into the church. All coincides, okay? And keeps it pretty simple, if you look at it that way. as we're supposed to. A, a particularly important role belongs to also mature women. L- like wise mothers of the church, you're to train spiritual daughters, so to speak, by example and word as well. But as in the case of marriage, okay, uh, the respective functions of men and women are not reversible in all aspects, meaning that men and women are uh, called on, are not called on to exercise the decisive follow leadership in elders. In other words, let me translate that for you. Yes, we all have our roles. We all have our functions, just like in the family. But when it calls to be for spiritual leadership in the church, just like men are to be in the home, it's the same thing with the church, Okay. Society has bucked against this and still bucks against it today uh, with the rise of feminism. And I'm sorry, I'll state it again on record. uh, I'm sorry, ladies are not called to be pastors. It's not in the scripture, period, right? Men are, okay? And I don't care, I've heard the excuses, well, men ain't leading. Well, two wrongs don't make a right, right? Now, as he clearly says, that doesn't mean you have no function, no society value. If we get that far, (laughs) we're out of time. Please start praying. Okay, uh, there's many valuable functions. Just like do you not do do you do no spiritual value in the home? No. Does that mean you do no spiritual value in church? No, it's just when it comes to the, the top leadership in the church, just like the home is supposed to be guys. Right? Listen, again, do you think the Bible had it wrong for 1950 years before feminism came on the scene? No. Do you think that the Bible had it wrong until an atheistic, uh, evolutionary, God-hating drug addict named Sigmund Freud appeared on the scene? No. It's just we keep sliding from the scripture. And then we act like, we compromise, and we act like somehow man's figured out a better way than God. It's crazy. All right, let's continue on. Uh, according to Paul, the principles according regarding the structures of the human family are to be applied to the church as god's household it's made clear paul to timothy and paul refers to timothy as his son and in addition we're to relate uh, to older men he says there in the passage as fathers younger men as brothers older women as mothers and younger women as sisters every single one of those is what kind of a term a family term and we should also care for widows if they lack immediate family of the christian family and that's what he says there i'm writing these things to you hoping to come before too long but in case i'm delayed i write to you that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household even the word household is a family term in the household of god which is the church of the living god the pillar and support of truth now we now understand why Paul's given the requirement of the management of, the, of his household well for the elders of the church right the pastors okay The same management skills required in the home are also required where? In the church, the household of faith. And for that reason, it's not surprising that the headship leadership roles in the church are restricted to men, is your blank there, just as in the home. Therefore, when looking at the qualifications for pastor, teacher, elder of the church, it's not surprising he only speaks about men aspiring to to that position. In fact, Paul has just dealt with the fact that women are forbidden in the church assembly to teach or exercise authority over a man. Her attitude and action should exhibit her submission uh, to her husband. But as in the family, the male leadership of the church should be reminded that the women of the church are equal, equal image bearers of God. And in addition, women like men, guess what? Anybody, male, female, you become a Christian. what, What does God give you? spiritual gifts and they're called to use them to minister to the body right just as we're different everybody's different we get different gifts just as some are christian men some are christian women we have different functions if you just it's like in marriage it's the family term as we saw before in marriage men just be who god's called you to be and what he's fulfilled you to be be that peanut butter ladies just be what god's called you to be that godly woman that jelly leave it alone slap it together make something wonderful And same thing in the family of God. Just do it God's way. Hey! It's a wonder how things work out pretty well. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. Okay? Let's continue on. Peter instructs the younger men to be subject to your elder, and all of you elders and younger men, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. All right? The men who are not among the leadership should be actively involved in the church, exhibiting spiritual leadership for their wives and children. This is especially important for sons to act, is your blank there, as a pattern they can follow of godly male headship. As for men in leadership positions, we've already seen the high qualifications Paul set for them and the deacons uh, qualifications follow as well. Now let's take a look at some biblical patterns. Excuse me, this is for elders or pastors, just very quickly, financial oversight, establishing a defending doctrinal statement, exercising spiritual oversight, teaching the word, the Bible, praying for the flock, church discipline, ministry and prayer for the sick, discipleship, mentoring of young men for future leadership, and the appointment of other elders. Now, in addition, the Bible also gives some qualifications for deacons, and the term deacon is diakonos. Okay, it means servant or helper. Actually, in the Greek, it literally means a shuffler of the dirt, right? That's kind of a cool term and uh, it's uh, developed from the benevolent needs of the early church, Acts chapter six. And you take a look at the functions there and uh, they've got a a wide range of responsibilities uh, that the deacons carried out. Uh, In comparing the list of qualifications for elders or pastors versus the deacon uh, carried out, they're very similar, but one qualification is distinctly absent from the list of deacons, that being the ability to teach. Now, does that mean a deacon can't teach? Of course not. But as we saw before in the five-fold ministry, uh, 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 apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, it's actually four. We've talked about this many times. It's uh, uh, apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, that is teachers. In other words, as a pastor, as an elder, you as a pastor, if you're truly called to be a pastor, you have to have the gift of teaching, right? If you don't, maybe if God's called you to leadership in the church, you'd be a deacon, and again, it doesn't mean deacons can't teach, okay? But there, there's that one difference thing that is for pastors. You need to teach. Why? Because as we saw there, what is one of the biggest major things you're supposed to be doing for the church? Instruction. And not just instruction in the word, but also defending the doctrine of the church. You've got to be able to teach, okay, is what he's talking about. Now, as a result, we can say that they probably, the deacons, did any task in the church that would have taken the elders or pastors away from their task of teaching and preaching the word of God. And as you take a look there, it's clear in Acts chapter 6, that's exactly what was going on. When the apostles who were teaching the early church there, they said, hey man, pick these seven guys, the deacons, that's where you get the birth of that. And he says, we, we, we got to continue on with, with prayer and the ministry of the word, okay? There are all these other practical things that got to be taken care of, but if we start doing all that too, the, the preaching and the prayer is going to begin to suffer for the church, Okay? And that's what he's talking about there. Uh, This would include taking care of the widows who are in need. Uh, Deacons might also, top of page 160, have included some type of ministry to orphans since James tells us. This is the pure undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And in our day, the oversight of the church building and grounds would probably fit into the responsibilities of the deacon. But the specific functions of the deacon are not given probably because... They are to take care of the needs as they arise. Okay, so it's how do you know till it arises? And their jobs may include many things. Thus, the functions of the deacons is as broad as their name implies. They're servants. And so they serve in many different ways. They were to perform any, here's your final blank there, any service that might burden the elders and thus take time away from their primary task of ministering the word God. Of God. And if everybody just did. What we're called to do. I got a theory. It goes like this. God's pretty smart. God knows what he's doing. And if we just do what he says. Our personal lives. Our family lives. Our church life. And our country. Could experience those blessings. But it starts individually with us. Okay. And man, I put it on us. Ladies, praise God. We made it. Give it up for those three people to get to faith tonight. Awesome. Wow. Okay, next week we're going to get into what you're called uh, to do. But we have to lead the way by example, man. No more excuses. No more goofing off. Lead the way back by example. And uh, don't look around for somebody to blame. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries. And I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall to give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So, let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, You guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. uh, uh, Even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead. Okay, that's the same thing. uh, It's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of 10. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place, so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God, both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us. That disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, For instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, You even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us, this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon Through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven.